Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Good morning to my co-host, Steve McDonald. This is Nick Jeans with you. I didn't say my name before. You know who I am. Hello, Steve. Yeah, I know who you are, Nick Jeans. Good well, morning. Do you please let me know afterwards, finish the show, sit down and tell me who I am. I'm slowly figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing or not. That's a good sign or not. Today, we're, uh, well, it's, it's Easter Monday. It's a bit of a holiday. People are still in the holiday season, uh, but we're going to challenge people a little bit with, a, with, some, with some, uh, some new ideas, some strong ideas. What are we on about today? We're going to talk a little about uh, some interesting current affairs first up, and then we're going to do some more um, investigation of second-tier consciousness. So we did a, an episode uh, a few weeks back on second-tier where we touched on the, the uh, early stages, and so we'll provide a little bit more depth around that and, and really uh, step off the map a bit. Um, so we'll, we'll look at Claire Grace's research and you know the, the scant notes that he made about the second layer in second-tier. And then see uh, if we can push a little bit further and, and riff about what might be there. Because mm. we're looking with that second tier, that emerging consciousness that, as uh, uh, some people say, there's only perhaps one percent of the people on the planet who are emerging into this consciousness. That's very hard to predict yeah, and understand. Yeah, I, I was actually diving into Graves' notes last night, and uh, I found reference to uh, somewhere he wrote that he. Seven percent of his original research group of 1,065 people eventually showed some second tier, particularly seven percent, particularly the seventh layer. So yellow in spiral dynamics language. Yeah, and that's the first time I've actually come across a number around that. And then the eighth layer, of course, which we'll talk about this morning, even fewer. Only. Six people out of 1,065. So we're really going to extend into the future here, but uh, as we'll probably talk about, perhaps not as far in the future as we may think. We're actually evolution. going in all directions, so we'll go into the future and the past. Okay, excellent. Oh, well, that's good. That's, that's good for me. I'm happy yeah. with that. That's how we are. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. So you were there at the uh, the um, the convoy yesterday with all the people. What, what was it? What was the tone? What was the feeling? I was look. Yeah. It, it was um, it was an amazing community feel. You know, everybody very much on the same frequency, and uh, there was a, a, a very very inspiring talk by Bob Brown amongst many many speakers that they had. You know, of all ages and all backgrounds. Um, and uh, uh, Rob Hurst, the uh, drummer of yes, um, yes. Midnight Oil, was there. I've had Rob in here. He sat at that very chair. Yeah. And um, and there was another musician's son you said was speaking there yesterday. Uh, oh, who did I uh, who did I think of? Oh, yeah, there was yeah. somebody. It'll come back to me anyway. And yeah, also, you yeah. probably saw um, uh, Morton, Georgia Morton, a band called Morton. Did they play? Uh, I got there just after the music finished. Uh, okay. Actually, so I missed the music. Yeah, she's I, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. cool. But so, it, was, it was great. Hmm. You know, um, amazing support. Everybody was very, very enthusiastic. 
and, uh, and of course the convoy set off straight mm. after the meeting mm. heading north. So what does this say, uh, we'll come to Extinction Rebellion as a bit of an expansion on this, but what does this, how did you read the nature of this protest in terms of uh, our evolution of, of where we're going on the planet, of how we're approaching these issues? There's a couple of interesting things showing up. Um, so the the um, postmodern or, or you know layer six, which is um, superseding the modern scientific mindset, is is driven by deep human connection. That's its core driver. You know that's that's the thing that it, it wants most or is motivated most by. And so, mm. uh, what I'm seeing is that the the climate change movement is providing a context for that deep connection. You know, it's a reason that really transcends all other earthly interests in a way. Um, it's a, it's a, f- a fully global uh, context that is bringing people together and giving people an opportunity to to connect around what they see as a very, very important cause. Mm. And that, that was very, very clear yesterday. And, and this, of course, the same thing's uh, playing out all around the world mm. right now. There was action by the Extinction Rebellion group. Um, yes, there's a report in The Guardian just now from an hour ago. Some arrests were made uh, uh, after urging activists to move to Marble Arch and uh, off uh, Waterloo Bridge. Because essentially these protests are, by their very nature and and, and their uh, their dispensation of of energy, uh, designed to be peaceful, designed not to be confrontational. And these, of course, are all qualities of of that layer six of the green layer. Aren't they, they are indeed, and and the the peaceful nature is a, a signature of this particular movement. And uh, in the past, like looking back over the past few decades. Uh, a lot of protest movements have been somewhat corrupted by different value sets. Yeah. And and one of the things about the, this uh, postmodern or green or, or layer six value set is that it's extremely permissive. You know, it wants everybody to have equal access, equal say, etc. And in the past, we've seen that opening the door for. Um, other value systems to come in and take advantage of yes. that uh, open sort of free attitude mm. and and that can sometimes degenerate into these other value systems playing out in, in violent uh, actions and those sorts of things do you think people are actually waking up to that process themselves people who are more into in the green layer so to speak or moving that way starting to see that greenwash that influence of or that motivation that some people might come coming in to be more militant for example uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, but, you know, by definition, the in the first tier of consciousness, up and up to and including this value set, there, there is no ability to really discern or distinct, you know, make a distinction between the value sets. It's somewhat invisible, and and we see the differences amongst people, and we see that people have different attitudes, and people tend to be labelled good and bad and that kind of thing, or yeah. like us, not like us. Yeah. But there's no real true um, awareness of the the layers of values, and so it's it's difficult. However, as time goes on, there will be more people within this community that are starting to poke up into second tier and have early stage recognition, and so that would certainly enable what you're talking about. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, Extinction Rebellion, for those who don't, aren't familiar with it, XR is a socio-political movement which uses non-violent resistance to avert climate breakdown, halt biodiversity loss and minimise the risk of human extinction and ecological collapse. It's a a powerful term, isn't it, Extinction Rebellion? It's extremely powerful, Mm. yeah, extremely evocative Mm. and... um, and it, it also feeds into the transition into second tier because this fear of the extinction of our species, you know, is, is going to be a key a key driver, which uh, paradoxically drives us beyond fear. 
yeah. as we transition into the second tier. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking that there's, there seems to be perhaps, uh, I mentioned this to you off air, we're in the middle, of course, of a, of a, a federal election campaign right now up to, uh, to May the 18th for the election day. And... Uh, Pretty well, most of you, no matter which side of the fence you might uh, choose to vote on, are, are probably pretty aware of how much uh, the discourse is driven by fear, and particularly, in my opinion, uh, by the coalition. It seems to be every time you turn on the radio or, or, or whatever, or read a paper, it's about what Labor's going to do to destroy your, your bank accounts, your, your freedom, your this or that or other. And I'm getting the sense, though, that people are getting a bit tired of this, uh, this as fear as a motivation. I think it's, it, you know, the, because of uh, social media and uh, the great access we have now to a, a variety of communication it, it's be, the situation is becoming more and more transparent and it's just a uh, transparent rather it's just getting so damn obvious that these these are lies i think you know i think that's the real difference yeah. i mean sure people are sick of yeah. the, the fear driven stuff but it's just become so obvious and so very difficult for the old paradigm to maintain this false image, you know, which is again that's been a signature of the old, the old paradigm. Yeah. This idea of an, a public image, public image and yes. that you can hide behind, yes. right? Yeah, and then obscure things. We and you're supposed to trust, which for a long time we did. Clearly, we thought this was the way we were going to be, and this is what we're providing all sorts of solutions and amazing technological advancements and a lot more freedoms. Generally speaking, particularly now in our, in our uh, first world democracies. And yet, what we're seeing now is that a lot of that image uh, is the emperor with no clothes. Yeah, and it's it's always tempting to sort of make moral judgment, but if you if you stand back far enough, you can see that these uh, value systems, these you know, paradigms, are always good when they start because they solve our old problems from the previous paradigm, and they play out, uh, and and they peak, and then they start to die off, and as they start to die off, they become less and less effective at solving the problems, and so so you know the impression is that initially it's good, and that eventually in its later stages it starts to look bad yeah. and, and that's part of the uh, the evolutionary tension driving the change yes yeah um, extinction itself I mean it's been talked a lot about recently this, this notion that we're in the, the sixth extinction and uh, most people would know that uh, I think it's something like 99.1% of all species that have ever lived on this planet have become extinct. Yeah, that's a pretty bad average, pretty bad batting average, so to speak. So you know, there is a natural uh, process of, of uh, extinction and, and change of species and evolution, of course, on one hand, and then there's, there's the accelerated change that uh, has arguably happened in, in humans' uh, intervention in the last couple hundred years, in particular. Yeah, and, and again, um, part of the difficulty in approaching all of these things from a moral standpoint mm. is that morals change. And there is no single set of, of human morals. There are morals associated with each of the value systems. And as humanity evolves and we move from one value system to the next more complex and more capable value system, our morals change also. And this, this is why, you know, we, we get clashes of morals in society where model, morals can be radically different. You know, yeah. some people can think something's morally fine and other people are, are absolutely horrified by it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, if, if we're taking the most conscious uh, perspective that we can um, we need to attempt at least to sort of step beyond the moral perspective because morals are associated with particular value systems yeah. and and so you know what looks bad to one value system might be the uh, amazing best solution to a different value system yeah. Um, and and so um, th that puts puts you in a difficult position trying to look at these things. But from a you know from let's just look at the extinction issue. I mean, if there have been five previous extinctions on the planet, we can make a few um, 
deductions from that, and the first one would be, well, you know, they're not all the fault of human beings. Mm -hmm. And the second one is that uh, it's if, if you take the perspective that nothing is inherently right or wrong, um, then this just looks like a regular cycle that happens on the planet. And and other people have have said to me and you know, you know, explained it in the sense of like uh, changing the water in a fish tank, for example. And so as the planet goes through change, it has this apparently uh, repeating cycle of refreshing life on yes. the planet and it's like uh, and and it's not just the extinction that's part of that but it's a it's a, a whole of system mm. whole of planetary system dynamic that mm. involves climate change etc and so um once somebody uh, and i can't remember who it was now but it may have um yeah, I certainly have been talking to Dennis McKenna about that. I'm sure Dennis had some input into into these thoughts. But the idea of uh, when you change a fish tank, you're basically refreshing the whole environment. You know, the environment, I mean, a fish tank is, is quite static by nature, apart from the bubbles. Yes, um, not a lot of complexity and, going and on so in the you, tank, it, really. It needs some maintenance. Yeah. And you have to, you know, take the water out and clean the, the glass down and, and refresh it and put fresh water back in and re-oxygenize it and all that kind of stuff. And, and so the planet has a, a similar system and, and part of the dynamics that we're starting to understand are the ice ages, um, you know, which which frees up a whole bunch of the water on the planet, which which kind of purifies it in a sense, um, and uh, then there is a replenish, there is an extinction of life as part of the cycle, uh, and if we look back in history, we can see that these major extinctions have, as you pointed out, they've 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 extinguished considerable uh, percentages of. I think it's ninety nine point one percent of all life that has existed has been has become extinct. Yeah, yeah. And, and then after that you know in the latter stage of the cycle there's this massive replenishment of life yeah. where life is reborn again and recent scientific evidence is pointing to uh, the south pole the yeah. antarctic That's as right. as one of the if not the major source the of this replenishment of life yeah. And there's been some recent studies of the diversity of uh, species down there, and particularly marine species, and it's just off the scale. It's, you know, more diverse than anywhere else on the planet, it seems. And it's we, sort of, yeah, go. Sorry, I was just going to say it's counterintuitive in some ways, or to me, that that uh, life would become so abundant and refresh and regenerate in the, the coldest of climes rather than in uh, in the tropics in the warmth. Yeah. So it sort of seems to be counterintuitive to me, and yet that is the way it is. I, I know, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think um, as humans we... Um, you know, by our nature, we tend to have a limited perspective on things. I mean, we're we're most aware of the things around us and, and close to us, and the material things uh, in life. And um, we tend to get attached to things. And once we like something and enjoy it, we don't want it to change. You know, there's this resistance to change. And so, all, all of those human characteristics tend to contribute to this idea that the the um, the loss of, of these things is bad, you know, but and if, but if we sort of step back far enough and look at, at these very, very long perspectives, perspectives on life on planet Earth, then uh, we start to see that this is a massive, massive cycle that is repeating. Um, and we are part of Earth and we're part of nature and we contribute to it. So, that, you know, no doubt we have also a role in this uh, extinction process and, and have contributed without doubt to the extinction of some things by altering environments mm. and polluting environments and those sorts of things um, 
However, there, there, there is a tendency right at the moment with the rise of this postmodern value set to take an anthropocentric viewpoint on everything, which puts humans at the centre of everything, which, which is actually uh, in a shadow, um, as in a, in a sort of a shadow, uh, shadowy way. It's very egocentric, you know, to think that we're the centre of everything, and it, and it sort of it reminds me of if we go back to the last communal uh, value set, which was the authoritarian agricultural mm-hmm. era value set, and back then we thought that the Earth was at the centre of the universe, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was the it was on the modern scientific uh, paradigm that that sort of yanked us out of That's that idea, and we started to realise that okay, the Earth is not at the centre of the universe, but now we're we seem to be as we move into this sixth layer, we start to think that oh, maybe humans are the centre of everything, you know, which by definition seems to to uh, make us think that we're responsible for everything, also, yeah. when, yes. when which which creates a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of blame, uh, a lot of victimhood, also these sort of energies which. I guess are necessary to, in, in some ways, I'm thinking as you're speaking, need to some some sense come out too. To oh, look, it, I mean, it's, it, it's all part of mm. you know the natural process of evolution. Mm. Is, it's it's neither right nor wrong, um, and it, it reminds me of Carl Sagan talking about the blue dot. You know, and and if you step back far enough, we're nothing but a mote of dust floating in a massive <laughs> universe, uh, which maybe most likely is one of many many universes. Yeah, uh, I was just going to ask too, the capacity to see the longer cycles, which we're beginning to, I mean, there are tribal uh, communities have uh, seen longer cycles, arguably, and some peoples uh, through time perhaps have a better, longer function. The Chinese are often spoken that way, looking seven generations or more ahead. Generally speaking, though, in this, in the fifth layer, we've we've seen, um, um, in the multiplistic layer, we've, we've seen basically a, a fairly narrow um, frame of, of time that people focus on, but that capacity yeah. Capacity seems to be growing quite quite quickly now to see much bigger cycles that we're involved in. Yeah, and this is a characteristic of this alternation that we get between individually oriented mm. paradigms and worldviews and communally oriented paradigms and worldviews. And always in the community oriented paradigms, there is a longer perspective on time. I mean, if you look back to the yeah. traditional tribal uh, layer two, you know, you've got stories that we, we have scientific evidence now that some of the stories from our indigenous people here in Australia lasted 30,000 years, yeah. stories of particular astronomical yeah. uh, phenomena that yes. were preserved and passed on yes. orally for 30,000 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And I was talking yesterday to um, a friend about uh, strategic planning in the corporate world. And, uh, you know, five years was a long time yeah. in the corporate world. Yeah. So there, you know, there are two really good examples of how this perception of and consideration of time changes yes. as we switch between those two themes of individual and communal. Very good. Um, thanks for your texts and so forth. And uh, also, first up to uh, our good friend uh, and uh, associate Ross Hill in Melbourne, who's mentioned uh, Cryon, who's a, a channeler that we do refer to sometimes. Uh, Cryon said, uh, referring to the fish tank analogy you were mentioning before, that oh, Cryon, yes. Cryon said, said that the fish tank, uh, yes, the fish tank. Thanks, but, but, Ross. That's where the fish tank story came from. Yeah, like, but, but on Earth, you can't do it all at once or humans would all die, of course. So you can't refresh the whole tank at once. No, and why and would you? I mean, it, you? you know, any natural system that wanted to refresh life it's not going to make everything extinct because then there's nothing to refresh it with so that that um, makes a lot of sense that it has to be partial and and again that's a really important consideration yes. because when we think about global phenomena and we think about climate change you know often there's this assumption that everything's going to change at once and mm. it will happen everywhere but it's never like that it never has mm. been yeah that's right and uh, on that the extinction rebellions um, demands there's three key demands which which go to this in a way those demands are for those who don't know the government must tell the truth about the climate 
There's a question there. And wider ecological emergency, reverse inconsistent policies and work alongside the media to communicate with citizens. And two, the government must enact legally binding policy measures to reduce carbon emissions to net zero by 2025 and to reduce consumption levels 2025. That's a big goal. And a national citizens assembly to oversee the changes as part of creating a democracy fit for purpose. Yeah. What are these demands show us uh, well they're, they're both well they're all three of them are beautifully representative of this emerging uh worldview the, the lay six worldview yeah. so uh it, it's um and this is always the case in the first tier the first six uh layers of consciousness is there's always a strong rejection of the previous worldview during the change process mm. and it's seen as bad you know it's it's often uh, there are attempts to made to actually stamp it out completely and so all of those three demands speak very directly to values from the modern scientific era um, the first one is the value of hiding information keeping information uh, secret and uh, I'll refer back to my um, usual example of this paradigm the poker game you know you I can't the old poker game you've got to keep your cards hidden you can't show what's on your cards because it collapses the whole game if you do that mm. and so the, the old paradigm always hides its cards mm. and so the first demand is for tell the truth right yes. show us put your cards down on the table show yes. us what you really think um, the second one was uh, uh, to enact legally binding policy measures to reduce carbon emissions to net zero by 2025 and yeah. to reduce consumption levels also okay. uh, so this speaks to the tendency of the scientific industrial worldview to bend or break the rules mm. so in the communal systems there's always a, a set of rules be because conformity is necessary in community systems the individual systems want to break the rules break out of the rules and make their own rules and that's exactly what happened in the modern scientific industrial era and we yeah. did a lot of that through the scientific process mm. of instead of relying on what God said in the Bible about nature and, and life we go out and find out for ourselves through science mm. um, and so um, there's uh, there's a you know a natural tendency to want to break the rules and so he, here they're asking for a system of conformity some legislation that's going to make sure that everybody conforms to what what the, the desired outcome is mm. and then the third point so was, was a, a national citizens assembly yes. to oversee the changes as part of a of creating a democracy fit for purpose yeah okay and and so there's this uh, driving uh, factor of deep human connection and communication let's all talk to each other and, let, and let's uh, ha have a communal process of decision making here instead of a, a strict uh, sort of hierarchical mm. imposition mm. Yeah. wonderful stuff and uh, and that's layer six and we're moving into this layer and particularly in this region here and many other places in the world of strong expression of this layer and uh, we're going to be talking a bit further beyond that today about how we emerge from that as well and, and then just before we break i just wanted to mention uh how interesting the protests in the uk were i think they're the ones that have been uh, most covered by the media over the Indeed. weekend at least in, in terms of the media that I've been seeing. And uh, for, we mentioned the peaceful nature, and that is a real signature, but also the complexity of thinking. So there's, there's uh, a group cohesion and coordination within the protest, which is... Um, demonstrating some some relatively new dynamics mm. so there's there's mm. groupthink going on that has quite successfully outsmarted the old system and being represented by the police force yeah. okay so there's been someone's thought up had to had to think about this and thought okay if we all lie down or we all resist but not violently mm. we just don't cooperate you know when we get arrested and it's, it takes four policemen to carry one per 
person, pretty soon they're going to run out of policemen. Mm. And they, so that, that happened. They started to realise that they haven't got enough police, you know, too many police are carrying people away, um, mm. which is taking them away from their main effort. And secondly, they're overloading the um, the, the cells yeah, yeah. in the police stations. There's been, uh, there's been over 900 arrests so far yeah. in the Extinction Rebellion protest. So they're running London out of itself. cells. Yeah, yeah. So, so they've been quite clever about how they're approaching the protest without any violence at all. Um, and as soon as the police put effort into one thing, then the crowd is moving, you know, and so that they're obstructing in other ways, taking, soaking up the resources to make it harder for them yeah. to, the police to control what's going on. So it's quite clever. Yeah, and been- it's a good example of how this new, more complex communal system is and, and will continue to outsmart the old system. Yeah. Good news, folks. Good news, folks. And I note also, I think that the uh, well-known British actress Emma Thompson was, I think she was arrested, but she certainly came out and said these police resources that have been used to quell a peaceful demonstration uh, are problematic in themselves, of course, because as you're saying, it's pushing yeah. pl- police resources and why are they it, spending so much money? That's right. And mm-hmm. it's it's sucking the resources away from, you know, looking yeah. after real stuff, real criminal issues. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your text. As I said, uh, just want, before we move on about the Adani rally, thank you for those of uh, a few texts in. You can Text us on 0437 34 0437 34 uh, And uh, what we've got here, we've got um, Hey Nick, uh, the Mulaney Stop Adani song is fun. Is it on the website? It's actually on YouTube, but you found it since then. I uh, wonder if those in the convoy know it. Probably do, but you've written back up here that you found it somewhere, so that's good. But we just played it off YouTube then. Uh, someone else said, uh, I think referring to um, uh, the son of someone, Lucas Nelson. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Was Thank at the Mullum Gathering, yeah. uh, walking his talk before he went, uh, and his dad's talk before he went back to the Blues, Blues Fest stage. Um, and someone else said that there is a Northern Rivers Extinction Rebellion Group self-organising collective which can be found on Facebook. It will meet again soon and will slowly warm up and probably get more active after the convoy and the election. Thanks, Jenny, for that. So there is an XR movement here in this region. A self-organising collective yes, sock. Yes. <laughs> Northern Rivers sock. <laughs> Just don't lose your other sock. That's a danger there. Be mm. careful. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking Future Sense, here on Bay FM. You're tuned to Future Sense here on Bay FM. It's 9.38.99.9 is our place. And you can also check us out on the web, streaming at bayfm.org. And I should also mention that this show, while you can listen to it in full on the, on the BayFM website, on our program page, on the Future Sense page, uh, sometime afterwards, um, after the show, you can also hear the edited version, version which if you're looking for the information, is uh, much easier to sort of access and, of course, a little bit shorter in our time-poor uh, time um, lives that we mostly lead. Uh, you can check out that at futuresense.org. IT and it is usually posted within a couple of days of uh, of um, of the show. So by uh, Wednesday or so. That's right. Thanks to Ross Hill and Absolutely. our man in Bosnia, George, who does. Our man in Bosnia. We have a man in Bosnia. We do. Would you like a man in Bosnia? Some of you <laughs> women might. I don't know about that. That's a silly thing to say. Um, we've just been talking before we move on to the the main topic today about some of the issues around. We've been talking about the demonstrations regarding Adani, the Adani convoy, of course, a wonderful protest or um, uh, convoy meeting yesterday, and about Extinction Rebellion, the movement 
uh, out of the UK, which is also uh, spreading out around the world and seems to be the sort of latest version of and language of and phrase and uh, focus of uh, the movement against the climate instability in the world. But there's also been some other um, troubling um, demonstrations uh, with some characteristics which I think we should address too. And um, In Melbourne on Saturday, a police officer has been filmed allegedly punching a 15-year-old teenage girl in the head during an arrest at a pro-marijuana rally in central Melbourne. Uh, and uh, that's an annual 420 rally, so it's not something out of the blue that, uh, that occurred in Melbourne. It's held worldwide on April the 20th, which is uh, the 420 day, 420 being uh, the, the, the time where all attendees smoke marijuana in unison. Uh, and uh, this is a bit, of a, a bit troubling, and, and I think you said off here about the, the difficulty for the police in dealing with some of these things now. Yeah, uh, some of the media reports of the protests in the UK of the weekend have pointed out that uh, it's a very unusual situation for the police because mm. uh, they're not used to uh, people uh, allowing themselves freely to be arrested and, and without resistance. You know, normally if the police go to arrest somebody, there's generally some kind of resistance. Yeah, they've got good cause to continue, to take them away because yeah. they've resisted. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that's that's both confusing the police mm. in the UK and overwhelming their resources as well. Um, I'm, I don't know what the specific circumstances of this violent... Uh, well, she was charged with uh, trafficking drugs, possessing drugs and assaulting an officer. So no doubt there is a, t- a two-way thing going on here yeah, of some sort or other. Yeah, that's right. You'd need to look into that detail. But, yeah. um, but it, certainly it's understandable, I guess, that uh, when these circumstances arise and the police are trying to deal with something which they see as their their public duty to do, um, that there, there can be frustration and uh, the, the police are human also, you know, sometimes they lose their temper and sometimes they do things that they might regret later. And so, but but without really knowing the full details of this incident, you know, we don't know whether that, that um, young lady was, mm. was violent uh, initially before the police responded violently. Mm. Yeah, but well, apparently, according according to this article, also a, a whole mob then followed the police and the girl as they walked her away. Probably three hundred people, um, and a few of us had to convince the mob to turn around and stop following the police because the mob were really angry at how this girl was treated. Interesting in, in that that balance and that uh, I guess that individual said, "Well, what do I? How do I feel here? Do I want to get angry and, and do something about that and yeah. create, exacerbate the situation?" Yeah, and, and we know there's you know there's been a violence. Uh, sorry, a, a history. Uh, in Melbourne of violent incidents um, which which really s- seems to be in part at least uh, a result of the uh, tremendous community diversity they have down there yep. you know there, there's uh, people and, and people coming in from different countries with different value sets mm-hmm. and trying to find the, the balance you know within a new society and those sorts of things and, and there have been a number of violence, violent incidents and, and Melbourne has a an ongoing history of violence too. I think there was some. Mm. Uh, there was a nightclub shooting uh, down there last week, also. Oh yeah, right. Now let's turn to something else. Um, weather. Uh, interesting in Western Australia's southwest. Um, something over Easter uh, has happened pretty amazing that doesn't really happen very often. The last time was uh, about 1970, anything like this. That's right. It's it's nice to see this being reported in the Australian ABC News also. Uh, so um, in the uh, southwest of Western Australia, I think it was, they had the, yes. the earliest recorded snowfall in the history of the state of Western Australia um, at um, a place called Bluff Knoll in the Stirling Ranges. Yeah. And uh, the last 
recorded fall in the month of April was uh, in 1970, yeah. uh, but that was uh, a few days later than, than this one. So this is the earliest snowfall they've ever had in the state's history, uh, which is, you know, it's important to report this because there is so much... Uh, somewhat one-eyed focus on uh, global warming events in the planet and, and to the detriment of balanced media reporting. You know, there's, there's uh, they, um, issues like this where there's an unusual record-breaking cold event don't seem to get the same sort of media, media coverage. So I think it's important that we give it some air. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and a, a complementary, in a sense, uh, piece regarding the, uh, the inaccuracy of actually predicting the weather and uh, and there's a difference of course between weather and climate weather's a kind of passing um, uh, phenomenon yeah te- technically they say that uh, climate is the the aggregation of, of weather patterns over at mm. least 30 years mm. or, or longer so that's the mm. 30 year mark is about you normally you know what they uh, the, the limit that they put on that and what that means is that when we get unusual uh, out of the box kind of weather events really we should be waiting 30 years to see what the pattern is but of course the the big fear at the moment is that the climate might be changing so quickly that we, we haven't got 30 years you know mm-hmm. before it starts to, to have a, a really detrimental impact on human life it's it's hard in this situation in such a complex adaptive system that weather is the climate is on this planet to enact for example the precautionary principle because do you do do you take significant actions just in case this happens this way or do you do something else it's a, it's a bit of a paradox there isn't it it is a paradox, um, and uh, you know, it's there are elements of society that have um, a long record of dealing with unpredictable, complex situations, and one of them, of course, is is the military, which I have a fair bit of experience in. Do um, and what I can say is that in a, a highly unpredictable environment, the very worst thing that you can do is put all your eggs in one basket because if that basket is dropped, then all your eggs break. Mm. So um, it's it's certainly a time, as we often say on this show, for being extremely curious, asking a lot of questions, but being careful not to put all our eggs in one basket be- because the, the danger here is that without... Um, rigorous scientific process you know unless where we have that rigorous scientific process which which i argue we don't have in terms of understanding our climate trajectory at the moment um, then the very worst thing that could happen is that we prepare for global warming and then something different happens yeah. um, which which you know could result in a very very bad outcome for everybody so so i'm you know i'm not uh, saying that what we're doing now is wrong there are there are many many advantages which are coming out of the global warming mm. argument and and uh, movement globally and one of the the best ones is that it's giving a global context for people to come together and rebuild community and take action to create a better world and that, that's really the, the mm. biggest value that's coming out of it and to to localize with that to with a global perspective to actually relocalize has been talked about a lot in this area and growing your own food looking after your own communities finding ways to, to yeah. solutions on the ground and locally cleaning up the planet and, and often again as we say before we have said before many times on the show um, numerous different issues are being conflated into the um, the, the global under the, the climate change issue and you know one of the the things is uh, just pollution and dirty industries, which which are 
a separate issue, although obviously it's related. Mm. Um, and uh, there's every reason to clean up the planet, every reason to stop polluting, every reason to you know move towards cleaner industries and those sorts of things, energy generation, etc. Yeah. On the uh, the prediction of forecasting, um, researchers from Penn State University in America have reported that they have found the limit of our forecasts, testing different models. So what exactly that is? What well, we're just listening to it. I think 15 days out is about as far as you can roughly predict the weather accurately. But climate, another question. And thanks for the text, Casper, who says just another day in paradox. Exactly. Another exactly. Be- <laughs> another beautiful day in paradox. Um, yeah, nice one. And that you know the the it just points to the fact that when we we see reports like this, that I mean, and this is it's very easy to to determine this if you just look at the weather forecast 15 days out and wait to see what the weather yeah. you know what weather turns up on the That's day right. and right. we're really not very good at understanding the weather mm. patterns the weather systems and, and predicting them at all mm which just reveals how crazy some of the so-called science is that's coming out at the moment where people will take what's essentially an assumption and then try and build a scientific case on it. And you know, one of the uh, recent examples of that that comes to mind is a study I saw which said that in 100 years' time, the oceans are going to change colour because of climate. And yet we can't predict what the weather's going to be in two weeks' time. You know, it's just it's craziness. It really is, and it, it's it's. But it also speaks to the to how science is changing, how science is being changed by this new emerging worldview, um, which is uh, moving away from sort of rigorous material science to um, human impressions and human values driven science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly, uh, a little mention about the issue around water and the, uh, the water buyback deal worth tens of millions of dollars, which Labor says is a scandal worthy of inquiry. The question is surrounding the involvement of Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce, hello Barnaby, and Energy Minister Angus Taylor in $80 million of water buybacks has resurfaced as an election campaign issue with Labor leader Bill Shorten declaring there are probity questions as far as the eye can see. Very suspicious stuff going on here. Those old poker players, you know, they're just having a lot of trouble hiding their cards. <laughs> All the aces are falling out of their sleeves. <laughs> oh dear! And just and also, um, anything else you want to say about that? I mean, you know, it's an it's an evolving story, and it's an it's an extremely important story. Talking about environment and talking about water, which is this is the water planet. We call it Earth, but really, this is a water planet, and the 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 health of our water systems on this planet are seriously compromised in all sorts of ways, irrespective of climate. Even it's uh, it's a huge a huge deal how we've screwed over our water on this planet. I, I saw. I think this post was on Twitter I saw over the weekend and it had a picture of the earth and what they'd done is they'd, they'd put all of the, the water volume oh, yeah, that okay. exists on the earth into one little bubble on the earth's surface and then they had another bubble which was the atmosphere and my god those bubbles look small compared to just the, the rock itself huh. yeah <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, the, the most of, as you know, most of the surface is covered with water. Yeah, right? of course it is salt water, but we can get fresh water from the salt water. But you, you, you're right. But the the issue of water is big in this country in particular. And just jumping quickly, because uh, we, we'd like to get on to our main topic pretty quickly, but uh, let's turn to another element, fire. The burning of Notre Dame Cathedral in uh, in Paris has been, of course, bemoaned around the world. And, you know, it's a fantastic building i've been there you've probably been there lots of you out there pretty amazing place indeed um partly burnt quite you know significantly burnt and all of a sudden very quickly 
Um, some $300 million in a couple of days was pledged by just two uh, top French uh, wealthy, wealthy families. And within, I think, uh, three or four days, it was $1.4 billion mostly coming from these, this wealth. And, of course, there's been a lot of contestation about uh, that money arising to build a cathedral. And, of course, it's a Catholic church cathedral, so you can look at the resonances there. Maybe there's some meaning there for you. Um, but uh, this sort of money in a, in a situation where France, like most of our countries, it's the sixth wealthiest country in the world, France, and yet it has, of course, its own social, cultural issues, poverty, uh, lack of uh, wage growth and all those other issues. So what do we think about this? And it, all comes back. it all comes back to human values. And mm. when we see uh, these sorts of things happen, then it's a little indicator for us of okay, how many people are still living according to, for example, um, agricultural era religious values. And there's still a lot out there, you yeah. know, so it's a good reminder that not everybody thinks like us. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Absolutely. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.